How you doing, everybody? Chris Rian Bennett here with the Vancouver Film School Storyteller Studio Podcast. Today I'm talking to, this is actually literally one of my, this is a, a good friend and someone who's actually a storyteller, I think, of all the things that Riaz has been across his incredibly eclectic and, and well-publicized career. Storyteller's probably the most appropriate title to give you right now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Riaz Mengji. How you doing, pal? Good to see you, man. You too, man. I love watching this. I'm, I'm the one used to doing the, the intro, so it's I know. this is weird for me to sit back and watch you do your thing and introduce me. This whole this whole experience has got to be a little bit weird for you. Um, for, for a lot of viewers uh, out there who probably haven't seen you yet, and many who know you very well, I want to let them know that this is a guy who, for many years, was an iconic Canadian journalist, and you were one of those guys who was up at like 3 a.m. every day, hmm. doing the Monday to Friday. Friday news tour of duty as early as 3, 3 a.m. sometimes, right, with, with breakfast television. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it's the art of discipline uh, of getting up because the news cycle never sleeps. And if you're live first thing in the morning, for me, waking up, usually it was 3.30, you have a baby, then it's 2.30, then it's 1.30. <laughs> right. so some nights you Why even sleep. bother going to sleep at all? Why, why are we even bother going to sleep? But yeah, always waking up early because no matter what we did, the preparation was key. If people are tuning in, if they're going to trust you with this experience, with the information, you got to know what you're talking about. And for this job in particular, you you took a really unique pathway, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Um, but now you have, uh, I guess, semi-retired. Do we say? Do we? You've moved on to the next chapter. For those for those people who are dying to know, how come you're no longer on their TV every morning? What do I tell them? What's the what's the official line from Riaz? Retirement. It's time for the next act. Next act, and we're definitely going to get into that. You have worked so hard to get to this point. Uh, by the way, congratulations! You've got a baby boy. Thank you. Uh, how's he doing now? What is he about a he's, year? He's about fourteen months now. Oh man! I, is there a four? You've got two kids. Is there a fourteen month sleep regression right now? Because things were good, and then no, it's a myth. It's yeah. a myth. They're, they go in waves. Okay. Yeah, and then you'll hit twenty four months, and you'll think you're out of it, and then it gets even worse. Yeah. And then they're walking and talking, and they never shut up. So it's the whole <laughs> thing is. Uh, you know, buckle up. The never-ending show. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. And so you, you, you are moving on to the next act. You're both a, a father, a family man, and you're taking this whole new idea of storytelling and these important conversations with with really iconic uh, Canadians, uh, U.S. Uh, uh, business leaders, thought leaders, industry titans, um, celebrities. All of them. You're in pursuit of that really important conversation. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I think now more than ever, uh, when you look at the idea of communication, anyone can exchange information. And in the years working in television and interviewing people, regardless of their background, I was always fascinated with the exchange of humanity and the people that would really open up in, in, in such a raw sense that were expert, experts of their craft uh, that opened up and shared the human experience, that's what fascinated me. And when you look at mainstream media of whether you know, you're scrolling on Twitter or you're flipping through the channels on TV, and I don't think TV's going anywhere, especially you know, when people would say to me, uh, it, it's the end of the era for television. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, because you care what's going on in your neighborhood. Local television will never disappear, especially in the morning. Like that, that was a unique and still is a unique vehicle because when you wake up, you want to feel connected to the city around you. What's happening? What do you need to be aware of? Uh, but the exchange of humanity in a longer form 
really fascinated me and you know experiences even outside of the television realm mm -hmm. what we were able to do with a lot of the uh, TEDx Vancouver showcases finding brilliant minds extracting the best of the best see them present it I love the immediacy working with a live audience I love the intimacy that can be created when you're exploring an idea, not in such a truncated or rushed format, but yeah. just introducing that idea, massaging it, and then listening to the audience and knowing what really resonates. Do you think that the state of TV right now, um, having come out of you know really intense, uh, you know weekly headline news journalism, da daily headline news journalism, um, and you come back to that whole thing around? Uh, talking to a live audience, do you have a preference? Did you find that uh, uh, you wanted to be with one more than the other? You've hosted some major, major events and galas and shows. You've been on the stage as a speaker uh, wearing the other hat mm -hmm. so many times. And yet, in equal aplomb, there you are Monday to Friday doing it. Which did you prefer? Which one was more enjoyable for you as a storyteller? You know, for uh, for a while, they were equally enjoyable because they, they uh, presented their own set of challenges. When you're live in a studio, you need to have the ability to improv and pivot because anything can go sideways. And when it does, technically, nobody's perfect. Yeah. So you need to roll with the punches. But when you're in a studio, sometimes it can feel a bit lonely. You're presenting the idea, you're presenting the information, and then the question, whether you're the interviewer or the subject, you wonder, did this land with people? Did this land with the audience? When you're in, in a live element, whether it's a TEDx showcase or any type of gala and you're presenting, you know if you're good yeah. and you know if you suck. That audience, I think will, so. they will let you know. You will read the reactions. And for me... Yeah, uh, never read the comments, but yeah. you're right. They'll tell you. Yeah. And I think, you know, feeling that, I think the best thing to do on the stage is to listen to the audience and feel that out. And for me, the challenge of doing that, uh, every uh, arena you walk into, every new audience you walk into, you don't know how it's going to go. You can have a great set of ideas, but no matter how great your intent is, the reaction will always be different. And I think you can learn something from the audience, especially that live audience every time out. Why, why aren't you an actor? Why aren't you an actor? Like when you think about it, why uh, uh, what you were doing Monday to Friday? Yeah, you so much of what your role requires is yeah. the ability to to present the the persona. Whether I, I'm not suggesting you weren't real Riaz, yeah. but that became such a uh, it became like a character to a lot of people. Yeah. The fact that that it is probably it happens to be a real character yeah. is is irrelevant. So many people responded well to it your ratings were, were incredible at the height of your your exit did you ever feel like what the fuck why don't i just become an actor not my thing you know there's a funny thing my, my come on you never thought you never thought about it. no because i suck at trying to play somebody else like i'm comfortable being me on camera engaging like this yeah if it ever comes to a photo shoot i suck the photographers are like <laughs> what yeah, I'll testify you, to that. I've seen some. I've seen some. I've seen some good ones. <laughs> You're like, don't you know how to do this? But you know what's funny? My brother had a theater background at UBC, and he had an acting agent. And I kind of learned. And so did you, though. You did a bit in the early part of your career. I, you know, I would take some courses yeah, of yeah. like comedic acting, serious acting, because I think the ability for any actor or performer to compartmentalize a set of emotions and then convey it so the audience feels something—that is an incredible skill. So would I study it? Yes. And when my brother had an agent, they looked at her name. And our name's unique. My brother's name is Zane. You know, obviously yeah. my name's Riaz. Our last name is Megji. And the agent's like, how about you switch that to Zane M. Knight? 
And I'm like, I'm like really? Really? Oh, I'm man. I'm like, you're not the prolific director. Shut that down. Oh, man. Know? And I'm, I'm like, nice. I don't need the mold. Let's just be who we are. And um, yeah, the actor. So it never, it never appealed to you? No. But you, you're, 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 and I love this story. You started out in a really interesting way. Uh, some people who are not old enough that watch this would not appreciate or realize. You started out with MTV Canada. Yeah. And how you got that job was completely unplanned. Tell that story because I want people to realize you never know where yeah. you're going to be tomorrow. You know, I was having dinner with an old friend of mine at the old company I worked with last night, and we were talking about this, and he didn't know this either. But, you know, I went to business school. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, Simon Fraser University is where I cut my teeth, and uh, critical thinking was the best thing I got out of that. But in my final semester at Simon Fraser, uh, you know, I would volunteer and MC some conferences for this student group, ISEC. It was an international student group, and we were in Quebec City, and the co-chair of this conference saw what I was doing on stage, and he literally stopped me, and he said, hey, man, I know you want to be an investment broker. Don't do it. <laughs> and, and I was 22, and, you know, when you think you have things figured out, sure. and you're coming yeah. from an Indian family, you're like, huh? If you're not a doctor, what lawyer, What do you know dentist, that I don't know? You know, yeah. uh, uh, there are expectations coming out of the Indian family. And when he challenged me and he said, look, you're 22, take a year of your life, see what could happen in the entertainment space. You may not see it, but there's something you have to offer. And when he introduced and planted that seed, it kind of opened up my eyes. And I think no matter what, if you're listening to this, like no matter what you're doing in life, when someone introduces something you don't see, it's a real opportunity. Because what I started doing is I entered a bunch of contests. So the first one was uh, Z95 3FM, Top 40 Station in Vancouver. Yeah. They had a sticker spotter search. And you had to uh, submit a video of why you should be the guy or girl that hands out the stickers and prizes in, in the summer. You drive the car around. So for me, I'm like, I always had a camcorder. So I call up a buddy and I said, hey, man, uh, let's go shoot a streeter video. And what people know about Z95 and Jay Leno at the time had this bit called streetwalking. So I thought, let's do a fun bit and show that people know nothing about the station. As we're driving downtown... The first person uh, we see going inside a white spot right off Robson was Prev from Swollen Members. <laughs> and my buddy's like, dude, you got to get Prev in the video. Yeah. And my heart's racing. And I'm like, oh, shh. Oh, okay, I, I'm, I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run white spot. He's like, I'll park. I'll bring the camcorder. You gotta get him. So I literally run in there and I go up to Prev. And I'm like, uh, hi, uh, excuse me. <laughs> I'm shooting a video for this radio station. And, and he, how old are you? Now? You're, you're like 22. 22. Yeah, you're 22. And, and, and like Prev and Swollen Member. This was at the they're, height. They're massive. Huge. Yeah, hits. they're they, doing U.S. shows. They're huge. Yeah, and yeah. I, I to this day I have the utmost respect for Prev. But I walked up to him and he was so gracious and he said, I think he's doing the show actually next week too. So. Oh yeah, I mean you yeah. could mention this yeah. to him, and yeah. he said, "Sure, man, I'll do the spot." So he does it. He was great. We interview a bunch of people on the street in Vancouver. I cut together this tape because I always edit my own stuff, and I dropped it off at the radio station. And within thirty minutes, Buzz Bishop, who I believe is still on the station, is on the air. And my brother calls me. He's like, "Dude, turn into tune, tune into Z ninety five. And Buzz is like, "This guy Riaz has got Prev on his streeter video application. So if you're applying for this contest, you better up your game." Oh, dude. And when, when, when you make a declaration and people are like, oh, you want to get into this business? Somebody said, hey, MTV Canada, did you know they tape a, a top 10 video countdown show in the penthouse at Robson and Burrard? And I'm like, I didn't know. So I was like, I'm going to go check this out. 
So literally, they bring in an audience and they tape this show. And I just, you know, incognito sat in the, the, the audience and watched. I'm like, watch the host do his thing. I saw the director and I waited till the audience cleared out after the taping. And I just took a deep breath and was like, okay, going to walk right up to him. That's huge. I, I tapped him Big on the shoulder. good for you. And I said, uh, excuse me. Uh, and he's just like, yes. <laughs> Looks me up and down and he's like, can I help you? And I said, what would it take for a guy like me to host on a show like this? Silence. <laughs> and then he looks at me and he says, well, what kind of experience do you have? And I'm like, I don't have any. He's like, where'd you go to broadcast school? I'm like, I didn't. And he said, what do you possibly have to offer me? And I said, an unwavering passion to do this. That's what you said. Silence. Only you could do that. I said not. And it was that awkward silence. You know when you clench your butt cheeks like, oh, do I say something here? <laughs> I said nothing. And he looked yeah. at me and he said, come yeah. back Friday for a screen test. Let's see what you got. What a great story. And I, I like every time I hear it, I tell somebody that and they go, no. And I went, no, no, no. That, that's literally how that started for him. Yeah. And I mean, what a launch pad too. I mean, MTV, Much Music, all those VJs. You got, I mean, it launched a guy like Dan Levy uh, yeah. over at Much. Uh, MTV, you had some big names there. Your career launches from there. That is a whole, you never expected that you would be doing that. A finance guy from SFU. And in that short of time, because I think uh, having the degree... Uh, media was very different. This was in 2002, and there were there were many more opportunities. There were many more companies, and now it's like one company bought the yeah. other. But people would say to me, "Now the way this works is you have to go to a small town, you have to cut your teeth, and then you build uh, your profile, and then you get the big gig." And I always walked in, and I treat this perspective on anything I do in life. Uh, if you want to think outside the box, look at how you think you could do it differently. And when I looked at television, I thought, well, I have a unique perspective that I want to bring to this. And I always felt, and this isn't discounting the value of going through the traditional education, but if I did, I think I would, may have limited my own thinking of that's the path I have to go instead of, no, I'm going to do it this way. Because the thing I learned from that situation that I carry forward with me in everything in life, the best way to predict the future, yeah. create it for yourself, man. Do, do you, you worked hard to uh, – by the way, that's exactly how Dylan got this job. He had no uh, no experience ever working a He's camera. very good. You don't yeah, see ever. him, but uh, great he, hair he too, man. Couldn't ty- he couldn't type. He <laughs> could barely spell. He still can't. Like, But <laughs> – he had one of those apps for that. Man. One of those yeah. cheek clenching moments. Yeah, that was amazing, and uh, that's why we brought Dylan in. I think the uh, the the fact that you would do that, there's there's real balls to that, and I wonder if, in 2020 would that approach still work? I, so much now, even uh, let's use the music e- industry as an example. I was talking to a guy who works at a label uh, who shall remain nameless, and and essentially they were only even really looking at bands who had a certain threshold of social media influence, mm. and he said. 15 years ago, I wouldn't even have cared or even thought about that before you've even heard the demo. And over the, over the time building your career, you've obviously built a, a, an impressive uh, group of fans and followers. How important is that to you, that influence now? Like, do you, do you consider that with the next phase of your career where your fans go? Do that, does that become a part of it? Or because you're from that generation, that MTV, you know, VJ generation 20 years ago, uh, it's, it's less relevant to you? What do you? What's your thoughts on it? How important is it for up-and-coming students, storytellers to have that? This is the future. I need to pivot now because I relied on the traditional medium of broadcast, and now the social media strategy has to be a priority, and it will be with, with the new reinvention and brand that I'm working on because the, the conversation shifts from being uh, the traditional uh, one-way conversation from presenter to audience through television, and now... 
I mean, look, you post something on YouTube, you need to engage. If you want to be found on YouTube, you need to engage. Yeah. You need to know there's an audience, whether it's YouTube, Twitter, any of these things. And I think it's consistency. I think it's discipline. And I think it's the willingness to listen to the is audience. Is competition the same, Rias? Like, we always feel like when we look back, it was a, people say it was a different time. But for you to have had the guts to even go and do that, Back then, there were just as many people who would have loved that job and tried to get it. Sure. More people today. Is it more competitive? Is it the same? What would you tell someone who, who, who thinks they don't have a shot or, or really believes they've got a shot and, and is trying to weigh that out? Well, if you think you've got a shot, the one thing I always asked, and no one really helped me. I, like, I, I never truly had a mentor in the business coming up, and I always said I would give it back to someone that had pure heart and intention in this. When they say they want it to be on TV, I'm like, what's your message? Because if you cannot quantify and clarify that message, I don't care how hard you're going to work, how are you going to stand out if you don't know what impact you want to have on people, regardless if it's TV, YouTube, social media, right. what's the message? Yeah. And if you really know uh, the impact you want to have, there's an opportunity for everybody. And you know, and t- I can sit here today, I'm like, there is no television gig that I'm like, Christopher, that's the gig I want next. Right now, I'm so focused on this is how I want to impact people. This is how I want to grow. If there's a show, whether it's a podcast or TV show that aligns with the values now of the message, I'm like, yes, let's collaborate. But as it stands right now, I feel grateful for what I did. And now it's up to me to reinvent and and, and impact people in just a different way. So I'm going to throw up a couple of clips here while we're talking um, to some of your, 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 your various conversations and your work over the years. So as people are watching, we'll throw some, some clips up here in the background. Um, every conversation counts has become a, a mantra attached to you for a while. And a lot of people have really discovered or even become fans of yours through this new project before or maybe they never even saw you on the news. This is a really important part of something you're doing in this next chapter. Can you tell me what Every Conversation Counts is all about? And then I want to I wanna take you on a walk and ask you a couple questions on that. Yeah, I mean, this five years ago, uh, you know, you can get caught up in the cycle regardless of what your job is and then wake up and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, what, 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 what's the end goal here? And when you need the discipline to wake up early in the morning, I ask myself, where's the fire and electricity coming from, uh, the payoff for, for doing this? And it was really when someone would come in and share something uh, so real that it would shift my perspective. And then I'd hear from the audience like that. That was very powerful. I'm going to live my diff- my life differently because of that. Uh, to me, it started teaching me the value of a conversation. And then when you look around every single day, what we do, uh, I mean, you've heard the mantra, we're only as healthy as our relationships. The value of our conversations is huge. And I started thinking, I'm like, what if I could create a hub? And I found the most impactful exchanges were when people really started to dive into the most important conversation of their life, because we all have one. Which, and in, and to give some context, you're you're, you're referencing where that conversation maybe shifted your thinking or it pushed you one way or another way down uh, a path that was better or different than where you were leaning. These aren't just, hey, uh, you know, what did you think of Game of Thrones last night? These are these conversations that you might not expect, but they are pivotal. Yeah. Would that be fair to say? Fair enough. But yeah. hey, when someone kills the Night King, that's life-changing too, right? It is let's, very. <laughs> let's be clear. The Red Wedding conversation <laughs> oh, hello. Red was, all was a conversation that counted. <laughs> and uh, I, I agree about that. I agree about that. Yeah. Is it the, in your estimation, 
Well, let me let me throw one to you then, because some of the ones that I've seen, and I don't want to spoil it. We're going to put a link to it when it, so people when this comes out they can go there. You've got to you've got to check out what Riaz is building with every conversation counts. It's incredible, and it is really important things you're getting from some really iconic people. They're all people that people like. Mm. So let me ask you. If you had an opportunity to sit down with Harvey Weinstein, mm. would you do it? Is there a conversation that counts with someone who is not necessarily at the height of popularity or public opinion in your view? I, I, and I was curious uh, through a lot of people who work in this industry, like, are those, what do you think on that? Would you do it? Would I interview Harvey Weinstein? Yeah, would I you have a test? conversation with him? Sure. You would? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I, I think uh, we had... Uh, a speaker on the TED stage, uh, was it Natalie DeFridis, that spoke in 2012 that That's right. we're all worth more than the worst thing we've ever done. And do I agree with uh, the speculation surrounding Harvey Weinstein? Uh, d- does it disturb me? Absolutely. Of course, of course. Absolutely. But I think being a journalist uh, for all these years teaches you to be neutral on any subject in front of you. So I think that is an opportunity to ask some tough questions and explore this culture of safety because uh, the Harvey Weinstein and the whole Me Too era opened up a great deal of productive dialogue of Mm -hmm. how we conduct ourselves as men and women and how we create healthy relationships. And I think it's easy to just, uh, you know, spew venom at someone like this because of what's happened. But uh, if there's an opportunity to ask questions, I'm like, sure. You get to talk to a lot of interesting people and you pull out of them a lot of uh, of things that can be or or don't have to be related to the day's headlines. Um, I love your one. I just was watching before you came in your interview with um, Ron McLean, who I think is just amazing. Yeah. and how, how much I would love to have him right now in the post-Don Cherry comment uh, component uh, of what had happened to get his opinion. And I wonder, do you, feel, do you feel a responsibility now in that conversation to try to, you know, match them to the headline or to the scope of what their, 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 their experience and their famous for predominantly is? I, I don't know if I'm being clear, right? Is it worth pulling that question to, 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 to Ron McLean the next time you see him? Or do you stick to what he does best and what he knows best? Where do you stand on that as, a, as an interviewer, as someone who does this every day? Got to call it out. You got to call it out because it's an opportunity for all of us to learn. And I think Ron learned as masterful as a storyteller as he is. Yeah. He was very apologetic in that moment. And when you are live processing what someone is saying, sometimes, you know, there's a lot of things going through your head. And when I saw that happening... Uh, and you know, there were two words that, that stood out, you people, and it created a firestorm. And right. I, th- I think when, any- and to be clear, that was Don Cherry who said that, not Ron McLean that we're referencing. Yeah. yeah. And you know, as, as Ron sitting beside him, he didn't waste any time stepping up and acknowledging he missed the moment to explore the meaning behind the statement. Meanwhile, in Don Cherry's position, we didn't hear an official apology until much later, the backlash, the job loss, and then saying, oh, it was misunderstood. But no matter what happens, when an audience responds in that sort of way, if you don't acknowledge the concern, the moment is missed. So whether it's a Harvey Weinstein, whether it's a Ron McLean, like, look, I was watching the other night um, uh, the guys from TNT about this Kobe Bryant thing, and as devastating as it is, and there was some fake news about Rick Fox being on the helicopter, the first question to Rick Fox was, we got to call out the fact that on social media, they said you were on that helicopter. And I love that they went there because as an audience member, that's what I was sure. thinking. Yeah. And it's the realness. As an interviewer, you are an advocate for the audience. Always. As as a moderator on a stage, 
you got to tap into what the audience wants to hear. So regardless of the subject, no matter who it is, I'm like, I am game for any opportunity to ask the question the audience is thinking to get a productive dialogue out there. I'm not there to condemn or to judge. I'm there to ask the questions, good or tough, to get answers that can lead to a positive outcome. There's a great, um, there's a great book uh, that I read to my little guy. And as yours is getting older, you got to read this book. It's called Go the Fuck to Sleep. Um, I could use that book right now. <laughs> it's an amazing book. Yeah. Um, this book took took parents by storm about a year or two ago. Did, by the way, did you write this book? Or? No, I did not. <laughs> okay. But you can get it on on iBooks. It's called "Go the Fuck to Sleep." Yeah. It, it's unbelievably. It, it's made for kids and parents. It's hysterical. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting is the book took on second life and popular and went uh, overboard when. Uh, um, Samuel L. Jackson read it yeah. <laughs> as only a guy like Samuel L. Jackson could do, right? Yeah. Imagine like the height of that Pulp Fiction, you know, motherfucker, you know, like he just, the way he He's could talk. Cadence, yeah. And he, 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 he took this book to new heights. So by associating the, the storyteller with the story, it, it took it to this whole new level. And I, I wonder if you feel like in 2020, whether it's news uh, you know, a podcast, any any form now of storytelling, whether it's news journalism or otherwise, is it impossible to separate the storyteller? Like, I don't think we've really talked honestly and openly, let alone fake news, truly impartial, ambiguous, you know, balanced right down the middle news in, in decades. I, I, I would argue it's been dead for a long time. And I asked the same similar question to, to, to Colleen uh, Christie, who was in a few weeks back. You were doing it every morning. I mean, it's Riaz's view. How do, how do you hide that? Do you believe you can separate the storyteller from the story anymore? Mm. Well, I think it's tricky because when you're in the role that uh, I was in or, say, a Colleen Christie or any news anchor, you're not necessarily – for me, I was more the interviewer. I was never a news anchor. Uh, if you're the news anchor and you're writing it, then, yeah, you are a storyteller. But for me, it was a, it's a neutral position of asking the questions. So it's unique because my job is to bring out the story from the subject in front of me. They're the storyteller. And I just have to guide them with the narrative to, to understand what their struggle – and I always say this. It's struggle, conflict, resolution in any great story. Yeah. If you want to draw people in, what, the, what was the problem? What's the universal thing that the audience would relate to? And then uh, what, what you know, hurdle did they overcome? And that with that expertise, what's the takeaway that's going to benefit everybody? So I think it was almost... Which I'm arguing is that's your, that's your bias. That's, the, that's the, the Riaz in that or whoever that storyteller is because you, you choose to go, what do they want to hear? What am I going to say, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, to your point, I mean, we're conductors in that position of what is the most compelling? Why do we book this guest? To me, I'm like, what's the value to the audience? Regardless of what the niche is, how is the audience going to benefit from this? And if it's in the news cycle with, with the stories, it's, uh, you know, people are clicking on what do you need to know about whatever that story might be. And it's just asking, you know, when you get down to basics, who, what, when, where, why? Cover off the basics and then understanding your subject. Maybe they have something unique with that experience that they can add texture and context to uh, the basic topic at hand. You're sitting now with Woody Allen, hypothetical, yeah. right? You have that opportunity to talk about his new film project or how he came up with a script. Sure, yeah, those are the well, first things. <laughs> I don't know why I picked it, Woody, but I'm trying to give those ones where I, I think every day that bias, I, how could you not ask about the other stuff? Yeah. And yet they're 
I think it's reasonable to say there is certainly a, a, a large contingent of people who are, uh, you know, over it or they don't, they're, they're not, they're not buying it. They're not hearing it. Yeah. And others who are extremely outraged and want to believe the, the victims or the accusers and like, what do you, you run a poll before you do these conversations? Rios? like, how do you, that, how, how do you make that decision? Is it, is it impulse? What, what do you think on that? I think what's fair. What, what, what's a fair discussion? And I, one of the challenges that pops up, say, if you have a subject like Woody Allen or any subject that has some type of controversial background, is where PR can intercept and say, hey, if we book this guest, this is off limits. Sure. And when that happens, my tendency is don't book that guest because you're not doing the conversation justice. Right. If you want a full rounded dialogue, you got to address everything. And, you know, like... Uh, this this has happened many a times where it, it, it's a great debate in the room. The the caliber of the name, the tune-in factor for the audience, do you book them and then do you work around these issues of what you can and cannot talk about? Now I'm just really interested in an open book. If we're going to do this, let's talk about it all. Is there too much talk today? Is there with the with the explosion of podcasting with social, you know, influencers on YouTube? Um, certainly, a, streaming has enabled much more n- news even than we've we've never had more access to this kind of content. Um, is the content, in your opinion, a result of this insatiable appetite, or do you feel like uh, this could be completely different five years, ten years from now? What's your take on the state of the industry and talk? Uh, I think uh, there's a craving, an appetite for intimacy. Podcasting, it, advertising revenues are exploding on this because, and listen times are higher because you can put those headphones on, you can put your earbuds in, go for a walk and really connect with what someone's saying as opposed to sitting in front of a screen. So I think there's going to be more because this is the era of opportunity entrepreneurial opportunity if you have a sense of curiosity if you have a message you want to share you don't need permission from a mainstream network to share it you just need to have the drive to create the platform yourself and the consistency and discipline to continuously put out the content that people will say hey if i'm interested in it i'm going to be there and i think it's going to multiply. You, you spent uh, uh, many years uh, at the helm w- w- with us running TEDx Vancouver and being that, that MC on stage. Um, in your last round, you, you actually took the, the step of doing your own TED Talk, yeah. which is, has got some, some fantastic reviews and eyeballs. Um, as a speaker, if you look back historically, even as, as, as TED as a platform for speakers, over the last 20 years, the average talk is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Mm. Um, is that a good thing? You know, there's several apps out there right now that let you pay to read a book in 15 minutes. They summarize it for you. The executive summary, the quick version of this, the, the condensed talk. Do you think as someone who cares immensely about the importance of, converse, importance of conversation and where, what can come out of those, mm-hmm. Is this a good thing that we want it quicker all the time? It, it, are we going to get down to one minute TED talks and 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 uh, and a three minute uh, quick chat and and everything's going to be great? What do you what do you think of that? My preference uh, is every good piece of performance starts with good writing, and uh, I, I like the longer form. 
Uh, I, I can appreciate why people want it quicker. Mm-hmm. They've got their busier lifestyles. They want to tune in. They want to, they want to get a, a little nibble of an idea. Uh, and I, I could see it going that way. But I still think there's a, a healthy audience out there that appreciates coming into something and taking the time to fully understand it. Because if you have a brilliant idea, you need time to uh, absorb, to, to listen, to learn, and to actually figure out how you're going to apply that to, to your life. So... Uh, you know, I see these talks that are shorter. Uh, I appreciate what they're doing with that. You know, we even talked about watch times. If you do it under 10 minutes, look at the algorithm. Your ratings are higher if you're under a certain time. But if you've got great storytelling, strong writing, anyone can uh, capture an audience's attention. But I think the true skill of good writing is keeping that audience's attention. And good writing, good storytelling, that needs time to breathe and take the audience on a journey. And uh, I hope that stays. Yeah, no, I hear you. That's where where my focus is. I I agree. Uh, Who's your top three, uh, you know, celebs or interesting people you'd love to have a conversation with that maybe people would know? Maybe maybe two or three that no one's probably ever heard of. Anybody come to mind that you'd love to sit down and have a conversation with if you could? Oh, uh, okay. Will Smith has always been on the hit list. Really? Really? Will Smith and The Rock because... Uh, every single piece of information or uh, content they put out, yeah. I appreciate the enthusiasm and insight, especially The Rock, because uh, he gets really introspective. Will, I just saw Bad Boys for Life. I'm like, please, God, let this be a decent movie. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And there was some of like Gemini Man. I saw Will's movie. I'm like, is I it thought, over? I thought that sucked. Yeah, I yeah, thought it was it terrible. Suck. I thought, yeah. you know what? And I'm a big Will fan. Yeah, me too. Um, but uh, in terms of musicians, there's a great R&B artist, Her. She's young, too. She's like a new age Lauren yeah. Hill. I'd, yeah. lo- I'd love to sit down and jam with her. There's a new artist, Snow Allegra. I love great songwriting. And I know like when you look at music today, it's what's the catchy hook? What's the good producing beat on it? Um, and there's a great cat that I've just started to work with. And, and I'd love to sit down and interview. And I hope to in 2020, Nick Morgan. Well, you know, I've, I've talked yeah, to yeah, you yeah, about yeah. Nick Morgan. He's got a great website. Fascinating guy. Public words, and you know, one of his great books was "Give a Speech, Change the World." Because if you're gonna do it, think about the impact you could have at any moment. And he's a brilliant mind. He's a top uh, theoretical mind in the communication speech and uh, communication world, and speech coach for for executives. So, yeah, I think uh, for the songwriters, her Snow Allegra. Uh, I'd go Nick Morgan. It's an eclectic mix. And, I like uh, it. And uh, Will and the Rock. Yeah, I, I would interview Pope Francis. Yeah. I think he, I would love to talk to a man who's got another Pope breathing down his neck. Yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. Very rare in history that may never ever happen again. Absolutely. Did you see Two Popes? No, I haven't seen it. It's on Netflix. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Great movie. I would love to have a conversation with uh, video game designer Hideo Kojima. Okay. The guy who did uh, Death Stranding, that one with with Norman Reedus, who's the actor in that video game. Oh. The game is messed up, Dylan. It is crazy messed up. It's like you are a delivery. He made a video game that looks like, you know, Call of Duty. It's super good. Yeah. But you're a delivery guy, basically. You're a FedEx okay. delivery guy. This, like, this, what this guy comes up with, and most people I don't think would appreciate the art of this guy. And I would love to have a conversation. Uh, I would love to have a conversation with your brother. I got to get your brother because I want to pick his brain. Mm. But what the hell it must have been like trying to get a word in edgewise at your dinner table when you guys were growing up. Was it just nonstop <laughs> interviewing and reverse interviewing each other and chatting? Like, is it a shock to your parents that this is what you do and that your, your brother, who is equally successful in his own media ventures, surprising also? Did he take a different path? 
Shock to the parents, yeah. But I'll be honest, when I go to a din- dinner party, yep. uh, I suck. I suck at dinner parties. Because, oh, I, I don't know about that. Because in a public setting, when I sit down for dinner, and maybe it's, uh, my wife notices this too. And uh, I was talking to Kevin Newman, who retired from CTV News. And when I read his book, uh, the first thing I bonded with him in his book, he said, I suck at dinner parties. <laughs> and maybe it's when you're used to the intimacy of the one-on-one. You still want to talk. You, you just, uh, if, it's a, if it's a big dinner party, I get fascinated by the social dynamic of when you're used to being the presenter, sometimes you just want to be the audience. And I will sit back and watch how everyone's interacting. I'll throw in a question here and there, yeah. but I, I'm the quiet guy at dinner parties. People will be like, are you having a good time, man? I'm like, are you okay? I'm you like, like to study. I like to study it. And maybe to a detriment, but I can admit, uh, when I first met my wife and I would say, Hey, I'm going to with so-and-so one-on-one. She's like, why don't you invite me? Like, is, do, do they not like me? I'm like, it has nothing to do with you. I'm like, I just love the one-on-one intimacy that you can have with somebody. Talk to me about Quibi. Have you tuned into what's going on? You heard of Quibi? You know, Quibi, no, fill, you know, me, fill me in. Quibi is this new, it's about to launch this April. It's short for quick bits. So um, I'm going to ask a bunch of guests this over the next few weeks. I'm really curious to see if anyone's prediction comes out true. Um, This is going to be the next Snapchat or the next TikTok or whatever. Um, Jeff Katzenberg uh, hired Meg Whitman to be the CEO. Uh, They're putting millions upon millions into these things called Quick Bites. So you you log in. It's mobile only. You you, you would watch an episode of a, a, let's call it a 30-minute or a a 60-minute TV show. Yeah. But you watch it like six or seven minutes at a time, these quick bites of, of content. And then it's like cereal. You, you have to wait till next week or the next day to get the next, you know, five, sometimes as short as four minutes. It's super, it's like, remember Vine? Yeah. Like imagine Vine for YouTube in the sense that it's actual content. And major Hollywood producers and studios and actors are getting behind it. This idea that we want things in these tiny little serialized morsels okay and honest to god i can't i could go either way this will be huge and this is gonna this is gonna transform the landscape yeah and for storytelling in particular or it's gonna completely flop and i wondered if you thought something like that would take off. you're not on snapchat is that because we're just too old did you ever try it because you had a lot of fans that were on snapchat yeah i never did snapchat never did tiktok um yeah me neither and uh dylan you're on snapchat right yeah, he, and and TikTok, yeah, he's on he's on those. Yeah, you know, and, and he's I th- cool. <laughs> it, you know, it's an opportunity missed. I mean, you describing what Quibi is to me is counterintuitive to what culture is today, for what Netflix provides. And mil, yeah, yeah, and it is kind of trying to compete that. And we're talking millions upon millions. Like I think I just read Chris Pratt doing a show, or Chris Chris uh, Evans, maybe one of those two is doing one. Like we're talking a list. Hollywood is getting behind this. It, mm. it, it's crazy. It's coming out this April. Yeah. And you pay it and you'll, you'll serialize the content this way in these tiny little bites. And then at the end of the, I don't know, the, the episode run or the show run, yeah. you, can, you can then go back and watch it all in one complete thing if you want. But it's like getting it. And, and you have to wait week to week to, mm. to, to get the next episode. Or day to day, whichever the format you, you're producing it in. So I watched this five minutes of something happening in the show and then... I can't see the rest of it till tomorrow or next week. Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing. And I thought it was going to be super revolutionary. I was really excited about it. Yeah. But then the media started um, the, the media started 
kind of pissing on it a little. And I thought, oh, maybe I miss like maybe this will really go kind of where Snapchat is going, which is kind of down. Yeah, Dylan, Snapchat's going down. <laughs> Their users are declining is what I mean by that. And I think it could. And I, I'm really fascinated if all this stuff just goes back to like a good story and, and a good conversation mm-hmm. hasn't changed in 100 years. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the whole point of it. And maybe that's what I'm we always love to talk about it on this show and figure out at the root of the good storytelling. Does it need the gimmick? Does it need that? And it usually doesn't. Right. Yeah. I, I can appreciate they're trying to uh, give a refreshing take on content. And you know what? It's got to be pretty damn good yeah. if, if you're going to start stop your audience like that and make them wait a day or, or make them wait a week because this is a culture where everything's on demand and the audience is in control of what they're watching. I mean, the only things that are really PVR-proof are sports. Everything else, you, you're getting it when you want it. So if they're going to do it like that, I'm curious to see the quality and value of storytelling they're going to bring uh, to cultivate their audience. But if you, I mean, if you have Hollywood heavyweights coming in, they probably know what they're doing to give us a refreshing take. I would check it out to see how the, how they're going to yeah. make this. But, well, we'll uh, see. We're going to find out. It's going to be very interesting. You can if if it takes off. Are you going to entertain the notion of doing every conversation counts to carve up a, a thirty minute or a sixty minute interview into little tiny pieces? Like if that's where it went, would you play with the times or are you are you a, a, a purist and you would and, and keep it in your format? Well, you know, I'm a purist, but I don't want to be a. Dinosaur. And I'll hold you to it, whatever I, you say. I, I don't want to be a dinosaur at the same time, <laughs> right? Like if the audience is, right? is digging that form. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, in a long form conversation, you could get one or two good stories out in, you know, six minutes and, and, and then you're waiting. You're like, what else came out of this exchange with these two? Okay, I'll tune in when, when they release the rest, right? So I think it's, uh, you know, you, you think about when you release any content, you have a one minute sizzle you'll put on your Insta story or Instagram or Twitter to pique a sense of curiosity. It's the same kind of thing. You're like coming soon. Right. You'll yeah. see the rest of this. So they're saying coming soon. We're going to give you seven minutes and then we'll give you the rest tomorrow or next week so uh i think it all comes down to the the quality of the writing the quality of the storytelling that's right man well said uh talking to mr riaz megji a iconic canadian broadcast journalist former former tv host a media personality uh truly one of the great interviewers and conversationalists of the country. And I mean that, um, you've done such a great job. If you're watching, you're listening to this podcast right now, then every conversation counts is now out and we will put a link to it where they can go check this out and they can really dive a little bit deeper into some of the things we were talking about. And I, I really, really encourage you to go do it. This is a guy who really loves storytelling as much as we do here at Vancouver film school. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. Will you, will you come back another time and uh, hang out and talk a little bit more about this? Yeah. We need an update on Quibi to see where this goes. got to know, man. (laughs) Will it even be around? I know you're hanging on what's going to happen. It'll live a year for sure because they can't put this much into it and then shut her down. But I also want to tell people, maybe it is going to be rad. I was was drinking the Kool-Aid up until I read like two articles the other week. And then I thought... Oh yeah, maybe that is it. Like one journalist just out of they were they were doing such a big press blitz on it forever that it was getting really exciting. All these different people who were going to do the content, and then just one journalist, it was Variety or something, was like, "Why would I watch this? Yeah. <laughs> like, what a dumb way to watch it." And I kind of thought, "Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that. Maybe that will be really annoying." But there's always going to be haters with a new idea, right? That's right. I know. So I'm trying to be open minded. So we will see. We'll have the Quibi conversation, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see if it counts. Uh, talking to Riaz Megji, brother. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Aces, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me, and um, I appreciate what you guys are doing with this space. This is what it is, man. You're getting creative minds in here, showing what's possible. So kudos to you and the whole crew doing this. Thanks, man, and we'll catch you next time. Done.